Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio Dispatches from the Verge. Today, David Morrison and I get into a conversation uh, that was inspired by a Henry Nouwen quote um, from his book, Discernment. And uh, this idea of claiming your belovedness from God or identifying with it um, and just how that impacts your spiritual life, uh, sort of how it can evolve over time. But before we get into that, thank you to Danny West. He does all the editing and sound engineering. Thank you to Jacob Nedia at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, please check out theruined.com. If you want to find other episodes of this podcast, go to drcrpod.com or wherever uh, you found this. Dreamwalkerway.com is the place to pick up David's book, Desolate Beauty, The Book of Light and Shadow. Uh, There's also an American Sign Language version on YouTube. Uh, Also, if you have a Kindle, please uh, check out Desolate Beauty for Kindle. You can download it there or purchase it. If you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us. We appreciate you. And let's get into it. Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> David Morrison. Free radio. <laughs> Free 99 radio. Um, how are you today? I'm all right. My allergies are... Yep, the pollen is in the air. Wowing out. My voice is very dry sounding. <laughs> <laughs> Gravelly. Like the desert. Um, happy Tuesday. I believe it is Tuesday. We're at the end of May. Day after Memorial Day. Sorry. Oh, dude. We might cut this out, but have I ever talked to you about how my my dad's dad passed away when he was like five or six? No. Have we ever talked about that? So I'm almost 40 years old. Dude's buried in Almogordo. And it's never even crossed my mind to go visit his grave. Your grandfather. My biological. I don't, I never met him because he passed away when my dad was six. Right. So he's my biological grandfather. But. That you never knew. That your dad never knew. Right. Like my dad was just a little guy. He might've even been five. Actually, now that I'm saying this. Anyways. So we went, I went, you know, Memorial Day, went to visit my other grandfathers at their gravesite and my grandmother. And it, like, it just dawned on me that I'd never gone to this other, like, he was the Mason, the grandpa Mason that I just the never patriarch. knew. The patriarch? Yeah, the patriarch. That the pataphamilias? He, he was 35 when he died. Holy cow. It's fucking crazy. Wow. That, that's a whole other story that I don't want oh, okay. to talk Sorry. about. <laughs> you and I can talk about it later. Um, An off-mic so privileged conversation. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, yeah, can't even get into that. Um so I drove to Alamo Gordo yesterday to go to his oh, grave. Oh, really? Yeah. It was really weird. Like, yeah, it was kind of anticlimactic because you go to the... Because it's Alamo Gordo. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the real tragedy here is that he was buried in Alamo Gordo. And it's, <laughs> and it's, it's a gravesite. Yeah. <laughs> like, you go... It's like, well, I'm here. You know, I never met him. I don't, you know, I know a little bit about him because of conversations I've had with my grandma. Uh, but um, the amazing part is my grandma's 96. Wow. Her description 
I couldn't have had a GPS locator to have a better description of where to find it. Wow. Like it's this huge cemetery. She's like, yeah, there's a six foot Jesus. Go a little bit south of there and you'll find wow. it. <laughs> Spot on. Um, why did I bring on? Oh, because you brought uh, up Memorial, Memorial Day. Day. Yes, yes. So I went and met my biological you, grandfather. That you were I doing knew. some memorializing on Memorial Day. Said, thank you for uh, having my dad. Yeah. Thank you for doing sex with my grandmother. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Moving on. <laughs> how are you today? Oh, we already talked about that. Yeah, I'm good. We have a quote from Henry Nowen. What was the, the name of the book or the passage? Just came up with here. Uh, it's from his book called Discernment. Okay. And then the subtitle is Claiming Your Belovedness. Nice. So you read that passage right before, literally right before we turned on the microphones. And I think we're going to sort of do point counterpoint sort of thing and, so and just kind of run with it. it. So if you want to lead us off with the, with the passage and, um, and then I guess I'll go from there and then we'll just go back and forth. All right. So, yeah. So he writes about this theme quite a bit. He wrote a whole book called Life of the Beloved. Uh, but this is from his book, Discernment, and he says, Our first and most important spiritual task is to claim God's unconditional love for ourselves, to remember who we truly are in the memory of God. Whether we feel it or not, whether we comprehend it or not, we can have spiritual knowledge in the heart, a deep assurance that passes understanding that we are God's beloved. This is not an easy identity to claim, because we deserve being loved, uh, because to deserve being loved, our society requires us to be successful, popular, or powerful. But God does not require our success, popularity, or power in order to love us. Mm -hmm. Once we discern our identity and accept God's unconditional love, we are free to live in the world without being owned by the world. We can forgive those who hurt or disappoint us without letting bitterness, jealousy, or resentment enter our hearts. The most beautiful fruit of claiming our belovedness is a joy that allows us to share God's unconditional love with others. Strange as it, as it may sound, we can become like God for others. So, so I, could you reread the first sentence of that, just so I'm, I'm referring to it correctly? He says, our first and most important spiritual task is to claim God's unconditional love for ourselves. So that was the first time you read. So I definitely agree with that second half of like, once you encounter that love of God, the attachment to the world is not nearly as important mm. as far as like the popularity and the power and prestige yeah. and all that stuff that he that he talks about the, the part, I guess it jumped out to me the, or I mean, is that, that first sentence that claiming or recognizing God's unconditional love is the first part of a, st a spiritual, a spiritual step or spiritual, um, life. And, and as it's well documented on this podcast, you know, I, I, I sort of entered this life through recovery. 
you know, and, and one of the big things in recovery is when you come, when you enter that process, the farthest thing from your mind is being able to be loved by probably anyone really, truly, but especially this like, especially because a lot of people come in with this jaded idea of a higher power, right? Whether they like grew up in the church and like, you know, we've talked about it, but like this idea of a Santa Claus God where they're checking the naughty and nice list and stuff like that, or, um, or just being abused by people in the church. Right. Like that's also a real thing about it. And so I guess my, what my argument would be or, or point would be is that specifically within the 12 steps. So the last step is having had a spiritual awakening. That's how it starts. And so that it's, when you get to the end of that process, that's kind of where I've noticed people being able to identify with this unconditional love of a higher power, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's actually not a starting point. And, and many would argue that working the 12 steps as a whole is a starting point. Right. And so by the time you get to the 12 step, 12th step, then that, you know, you are, you are stepping into that uh, now in passage. Um, but I do think there's something, and I don't want to say mechanical because there's still a mystery to it. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that, that, that was what popped out to me just, you know, sort of riffing off the top of my head. So I don't know sort of your experience, you know, seeing people being able to encounter this idea of an unconditional love from, from God. Yeah. I I think it's, I think it's a very complicated thing, even Mm -hmm. though it's so simple. I think because we, uh, one, we have these, uh, we, we live under the, the oppression of a meritocracy. Mm. Uh, what that means is that, uh, you earn your, your keep, right. uh, your value is like, like, let me bring it back to, uh, so, so you can't watch, even though nobody watches satellite, just old people like me, satellite <laughs> or cable TV. Uh, As some people do. <laughs> Cause every time I open streaming services, I, there's it, so many choices. It, I'm like, I just spent my whole watching time looking for something to watch. And now I'm going to bed. Uh, the melatonin dude, kicked in. Dude, I went through that <laughs> the other night with uh, Pulp Fiction. I wanted to watch something new and I watched 30 minutes yeah, of Pulp exactly. Fiction. And That's how mu- music, especially you end up. Uh, yeah. Music yeah music I'll just listen to the freaking Beatles again. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, there, there are these commercials. Uh, I think they're Modelo commercials mm, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they, and they, they think they're doing immigrants a favor, right? right? <laughs> uh, and so they'll, they'll come up with a real story, supposedly a real story of an immigrant who worked 90 hours a week to well, they f- usually don't fulfill even, they, their dream. No, they get some, but they get some uh, celebrity. That's the other That's weird what, thing. Yeah, and they're top notch in their field. He did brain surgery. The number one percent. Yeah. The point one percent. Yeah. She, she, uh. She became a rocket scientist while, uh, you know, while cleaning hotel rooms, you know. And yeah. so these top-notch people. And, and so why can't someone just be a normal yeah. immigrant who just wants yeah. uh, a 40-hour-a-week job and just like anybody else? Well, I think, they, I think they did one of Conor McGregor, too. <laughs> Who's not even? He's not even an immigrant. No, I might. I might. Well, have he that is because the Irish don't like him, <laughs> <laughs> so they would like him he's, to be an immigrant somewhere else. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so that yeah, so that's a good example. So, yeah, of this so idea. you have to yeah, you have to be this extraordinary human being just to get uh, U.S. citizenship, so you too can uh, not have health, decent health care, and uh, retirement and all that. So, uh, so yeah, so we live under that, and it, it's not just a political thing, or and it's not a new thing. It's the way of the world. That's what mm-hmm. the right. The the uh, the Bible talks about the the world system, mm. which is a system of oppressive meritocracy. Mm-hmm. You're only valuable as much as you uh, contribute. Con- contribute, yeah, and produce or, or appear to contribute, even. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, or the way that you look, or the way that you mm-hmm. speak, or you know, and so that's that's what unconditional love is is tossing out, tossing over, and and. To get out of that kind of thinking is, like you said, it take even more than a twelve-step program. Right, it's a major t- series of a lifetime of spiritual transformations. Because, because I feel like um, I'm still engaging with that. Right, like even though I've been sober for several years and engaged with, you know, centering prayer and twelve-step program yeah. and you know all the stuff you and I have done um, over the years and um, and other people, right, like other spiritual mentors and and. Uh, steal that like meritocracy thing. It's so embedded in us. Yes. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Become a rocket scientist, damn it. <laughs> yeah. You know, or whatever this, this stupid example is. And it, and it can have its within the context. So if you go to like the churches that I grew up in, the charismatic, and, and if you go to even the, the, the name it, claim it churches, mm-hmm. I mean, he literally said, claim your, belovedness that's mm-hmm. a big theme with them too and and you know and they'll and they'll say you know claim your your birthright uh mm-hmm. you're a child of god well if you go in uh to a church like that and you've been abused you, you've got a string of failures behind you everything in your life has pointed out that you're a failure that's a good message to hear it, it can it can take you it can pick you up off the floor at least mm-hmm. but then what happens is the ego takes over mm. and then uh and then you you think of it as see the whole point of your belovedness is so, is so that it will flow out of you to others right for sure and so what happens is it becomes capitalistic again and it's, ow, i just bit my tongue uh, <laughs> and it becomes don't, don't do that <laughs> ow and it becomes a merit system again yeah and uh and now, and now me and my group, my tribe, we're the beloved and those others are not. And so it, so it becomes the basis of violence eventually. Well, uh, it's funny too, because even in the 12 step group, I wouldn't say so much the, it taking on the group, like you're saying. Yeah. I mean, in some rare cases it has, but to the individual, they go through the 12 steps or life gets much better. Right. Yeah, even just yeah. even if you, even if you're an al- alcoholic or addict, just not using statistically, your life's going to get a, a little bit better. Yeah. But if you engage with the 12 steps, you know, it's not a guarantee, but you, typically things start falling in line. Right. You right. can you can navigate the world. And so I'm not going to say a lot of times, but enough times people get done and then they're like, oh, look what I've done. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right, like, right. Yeah. They, look, what I've, like, look what I've accomplished. I made these choices. And so I'm <laughs> like, here. And it's like, well, wait, we just got through talking about a higher power. Yeah. A God is going to, you know, is going to do these things for us. And so, but that, that it's so alluring yes. to have the ego like step in 
and be like, look what you like, look what all the great stuff you've done. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, it hasn't, that hasn't happened to me yet. I'm not saying it could never happen, but my first sponsor, just watching how he engaged with the program, there was never, I could never see him and, and imagine him being like, hey, look what I've done. Right. Specific when it comes to the 12th, you know, yeah. he was, he was a very accomplished musician and, you know, and things like that. So he had other outlets, but, you know, get, you know, staying around him and, and sort of uh, seeing his mentorship. Um, and then even continued on, like, you know, I, once again, our relationship and some of our other, some of my other spiritual mentors really having this relationship with God. And, um, and I'm actually interested in your perspective of, um, so our friendship, I've never witnessed you being like, Oh, look what I've done in the sense of like spiritual, you know, what, whatever it might be. Yeah. Accomplishments or whatever. Yeah. Your prayer life or even, yeah. you know, even being a pastor, like things of this nature, like you talk about it and there's some pride in it, but it's never like the David Morrison show. Yeah. You know, it's almost like this, um, oh, what would it be like being, being, a almost like a facilitator in the world. Yeah. Um, but so what I'm really interested to hear from your journey is, is when did you first, or do you remember the first time you felt that unconditional love of God, of a higher power, you know, when, can you remember when you encountered that or, you know, or maybe you've always felt that I'm not. So I never no. felt that until my adulthood. Right. I know that for sure. So I don't know. I would like to hear your experience with that. Well, I, I think it's problematic because it can't be intellectualized. Mm. It can't be thought out. Mm. So once you do that, then it makes no sense at mm. all that God loves everyone. Uh, particularly, uh, I think it's Psalm 133 maybe or 33. Um, you know, he knitted you, God knitted you together in your mother's womb and that kind of thing. Mm. Well, then once you look at that from a, a wider, well, what about someone that didn't make it out of the womb, a miscarriage? Oh. What about uh, a child that was abused and, and murdered in infancy? Uh, and there's, it, you know, and so... It was Psalm 139. Or 139. If, anyone, if anyone's <laughs> in, in, interested... Uh, yeah, 139. Uh, what about, uh, you know, so all the what about isms yeah, come up yeah, yeah, and yeah. and the suffering of the world and, and all that. And so, uh, you know, it's, it becomes absurd at that point. You know, it'd be like, uh, I think it was Gregory Boyd who used the analogy of, uh, you know, a group of Christians singing a hymn that God is in control while up the road, there was, a, you know, a concentr Auschwitz mm. was right up the road and they're singing, he's got the whole world in his hands and it's like, yeah, Kumbaya it, yeah that like doesn't, that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so where do you, you know, so it's, so it can only be, and it can't be comprehended in the emotions either mm -hmm, because right. those are, you know, those are fleeting. Yeah. They come and they go. So, so it's gotta be in this place called the heart is what I call it. The heart, mm. which is, uh, the, and it's spoken in the language of love, not love as in emotional attraction, but love as a, a force that's beyond your emotions and beyond your thinking mm -hmm. and even beyond your physical, your physical uh, state of what it is now. So, 
So that's why it's such a profound thing and yet so simple. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and it wasn't even until probably my 30s that I was able to, I guess, uh, become aware of that engagement mm -hmm. of the heart. Uh, and it was probably when we adopted and, and our daughter was born, uh, just okay. seeing her, realizing the unconditional love that I had for her it was the same unconditional uh, love that God had for me. And, and then also encountering Henry Nouwen's writings too. That really was very helpful. Uh, um, and so, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, so it, it began to take me beyond my successes and failures. I realized it has nothing to do with any of those. Yeah. Um, in fact, those things get in the way. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like Rich Mullen said, your, your life isn't valuable to God because you're a, a, a gifted speaker or, or some kind of creative <laughs> or you've made you've done well with your money or you've built a nice legacy of a family. Uh, your life isn't valuable because of those things. And uh, and then his his friend, uh, Brennan Manning, another author who wrote on these themes a lot. Uh, struggled with addiction off and on throughout his life, alcoholism. And, and he said, uh, he tells a story. I think he was in new Orleans. It's a bad place to get sober probably. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he was uh, homeless at the time. And he was, uh, he had thrown up on himself and this was the morning, you know, so he had been drinking all night and was on, you know, I guess in the doorway of a public, mm. you know, off, between the sidewalk and a doorway mm -hmm, and was just mm -hmm. passed out. And, um, and a mother and her, and her child walked by and she said something like to the child, don't look at him. He's filth. He's nothing but trash. And he, and he said, I have come to realize that God loved me just as much then as he does now in my sobriety. It has mm -hmm. nothing to do with the accomplishment of sobriety. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's why it's such a powerful thing. Well, and that's a beautiful point going back to the recovery point is so when we get to the program, so one of the, th one of the passages in the big book is, is um, we will not wish to shut, shut the door on our past, right? Which when you hear that and you're new, it's like, oh no, like all that stuff I did, I definitely want to shut the door oh, yeah, on my past. Yeah, like, for sure. You know, maybe I want to try to make things right, but at the end of the day, I'm going to be done with all that stuff. Yeah. And that point you're making right now is actually those things that, um, so overhearing that woman, right. That would bring you shame and embarrassment and things in those moments. Right. But then when you fast forward to this idea of sobriety or this, even just the spiritual life, that is actually one of the most profound things. So in my experience, the things that I'm really, uh, ashamed of or embarrassed about, or maybe, at some point in my life, I had shame around it, embarrassment, things like that. Well, when I hear someone else talking about those things now, and from a hopeless point of view, I can approach them and say, hey, I did that same thing. I, I engaged in the world in the same way, and it's not the end of the world, right? And so those things that we think are, are bad or we want to shut the door on actually become assets. Yeah. In a, in a way, because it, it's that human connection and being like, hey, you know, and, and 
really truly, I, I, I don't know if I've said this here. I think I've said it to you personally, but the longer I stay sober, the more I realize it has nothing to do with me and is actually truly yeah. a gift of grace. Like I did not earn my way to this point. It's quite the opposite. Yeah. I've been gifted to this point. And how do I, um, I think the end of that passage said something about um, embodying God for another, radiating God out for others. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so that's, I don't even want to say responsibility, but that's my opportunity today is I've been given this gift of sobriety. So how can I then facilitate exactly it into the world in some way? And I fall short, right? Like, well, yeah, you, you move forward through failure. That's yeah, exactly. exactly. Which is also not a popular <laughs> message, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's true. That's the message of the gospel. Well, and to go back to the Mitch, Rich Mullins quote, there's a, a guy named Tom Shadiak. He's a filmmaker. He made uh, like Ace Ventura and Nutty Professor and a bunch of these big time comedies, like financially successful right, comedies. Yeah. And he's in the zeitgeist. Right. <laughs> and uh, there's, he did a documentary. He had, he had his own spiritual experience. The movie is called I am. If you're interested in watching it, it's like a documentary. Anyways, in that movie, he talks about when he bought his first like dream home, this mansion mm. and, when the moving, they, he was moved in, all the furniture was in place. His house was set up and the, the people that helped move him in left. And he was just alone in this quote unquote dream house. And he said he felt just as empty mm. as he had before he had Interesting. the toy, right? Like the, the cool shit. Um, and, you know, and in that moment, it didn't really change anything. But he said he, in that moment, he realized... It wasn't the money. It wasn't the power. It wasn't the prestige. Those things will still leave you empty if you don't have this. You know, yeah. Rich Mullins had had a, a deep spiritual life to connect to, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, if spoiler alert, this guy Shadyac ends up in that same place. He he has yeah. a, a life altering experience and and medical you know medical stuff, but. Um, but we still chase it. Like we still have to learn <laughs> that those things yeah. aren't going to fill us in that same uh, spiritual way, I guess would be the, the way I would put it. Yeah. Cause there, I, I know in my experience, it, so my intellect and my emotions kind of caught up to the belovedness mm. in my thirties became very aware of the activity. And then the door seemed to shut on that. And I'm just and, not really aware of that anymore. In what sense? Can you elaborate that on a little bit more? It's uh, the feeling, the feelings of being God's beloved, oh. and and the intellectual teaching of it I does see. not really resonate like it did. Right. And it's not because I lost it; it's because it's just been incorporated, and I'm not really interested in that. Right. Uh, and so I I don't know how to. It seems it's integrated into your day to day life. It seems like it, but it's so simple and small and un unremarkable. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what else to to say about it, you know. Uh, and so it's just, you know, it it's almost like it'd be making my identity being uh, a short guy or something. I don't, you know. Mm. <laughs> uh, 
you know, something's, I'm, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It, apart. Well, and I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a good comparison, but it's not, you know, it just, some of these things are, are, you can attempt to articulate them, but, but it, it, it doesn't yeah. do it any, any good. And, and then there's other things. I think this is a good example that you just can't articulate it. It just, yeah. it's, it's become a part of your life. It's become, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm even at a loss for a good I mean, a lot a of it comparison. nowadays, I guess, in the last several years has been more in uh, that sense of belovedness seems to be more engaged in my dream life. So, for example, I was the age that I am now in my dream. I had this dream a few years ago. Okay. Uh, and I was that age in the dream. And there was a child that was me from mm. a photo of when I was four years old. Okay. And this four-year-old had spilt something on the table and I slapped his hands really hard Wow! and was violent towards him in that sense and shamed him and woke up feeling like, yeah, that child. So I had the picture of that, that little blue eyed boy Yeah. and I had to speak healing to him mm -hmm. and hold him. You know, I was, I prayed while just looking at that photo mm -hmm. and integrating that child into my adult self and and my adult self uh, or that child integrating me into mm -hmm. him, if, mm -hmm. if you were, you know, and so there was that kind of a healing. Well, and this might be a little bit too personal, so we, we can we can cut it out. Um, but one of the ways I witness it in you, actually, I can I can tell this story in a broad way. So it, it, one of the ways I, I witness um, that open heartedness in you is when someone passes away and, mm -hmm. um, which happens too much. happens often. This time right? in my life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It happens. It happens quite regularly. And, um, just the compassion, um, it really hits you in a real way. And I'm not saying this in a negative way, hmm. but it knocks you, I don't want to say off your center because you're still seemingly centered. You're engaging with life, but there's just a melancholy mm -hmm. that vibrates from your being in a way. And um, when I witness that, it's the it's a reminder of me of of how hard it is to be open hearted in the world. Mm. Because yeah. these things, these things, um, these failures, right? Even though death is not a failure, it's part of life, but they're coming for us. Yeah. You know, and, and so witnessing that in you is a reminder of like, oh yeah, being open-hearted, trying to be engaged in the world, trying to be compassionate um, is not easy. It's tough. Yeah, it is. But you just, you just, it's just part of who you are. Um, and so I don't know if that's, that's the best example, but I feel like that's that one way I witness it in you mm. is during, during those, um, those sad moments, you know, and just, just how they, how it's, um, how it's interpreted as an outsider. Right. Yeah. It seems to be the pattern, I guess the, the, you awaken to your belovedness mm. through failures more than you do through your successes. Mm through uh, the emptiness of your successes 
So it's yeah, not the right, successes, right, right. Yeah, it's the yeah, emptiness, yeah. like you said. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's through, <laughs> yeah, the, the very sad things in life. Um, as you work through the anger and the sadness and the loss. You know, there's a, I was just, this, you just reminded me of a, there was a teenager that came out here on retreats mm-hmm. uh, years ago. And, and she was, she, she just had a very, her name was Kara, uh, Kara Hollifield. And she was a very gifted very intelligent uh, young woman, mm-hmm. teenager, and and she went off to college on a full scholarship and was gonna uh, heavy science degree, become and, a rocket scientist. Yeah, she we'll, was. We'll make a beer yeah. commercial after her. I forget what field she was in, but I th- it might have been electrical engineering. Anyway, mm-hmm. Eng- she, engineering. She came down with uh, cancer and leukemia in the middle of college. And then looked like she was in remission and then suddenly died. Oh, wow. At 22, 21 years old. Same age as my brother. Uh, and that, yeah, so that what do you do with that? Someone so promising. Somebody who, you know, I would, I didn't know her that well, but I would mm-hmm. trade my life for her. She seemed to be more <laughs> right, she was, her, a her better feature than I have. Yeah, right. <laughs> what do I do? I write some stupid verses. Yeah, I'm, I'm right She's there with gonna you. She's going to go... You know, she's going to go put people in Mars or whatever. So, uh, yeah. And so, anyway, I, I don't know why I shared that. But. No, well, I, I, that does speak to, well, and it goes back to the, the original passage of even when we chase the power, or the prestige, or the these yeah. quote-unquote worldly things, right? It, it, it sound, that sounds very, like, churchy language when people start talking about the worldly things or the flesh right right you know when we chase these alluring things of the world um there's no guarantee right like death (laughs) sickness yeah um tragedy right these things we don't that are coming for us in some way shape or form but we don't know when and it's it's um i yeah i don't even know where where i'm going with this but yeah, everything can be on the up and up and seem so promising and it, it, it can disappear overnight. Yeah. In one way, shape, or form. And and um Yeah, and to get beyond that, I guess, in my way, these weird things happen, find their way to me. Mm-hmm. So she had a, a certain cup when when she was at our place mm. with the with the group of kids, uh, they're all adults now. Right, right, right. Uh young people, I guess is a more respectful term than kids. <laughs> Uh, well, they were under eighteen when they were here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were high school, you yeah. know, high school students, high school kids, high school uh, students that are now adults. But she she had her favorite cup, though, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this one cup that I have, and so I protect that cup. Yeah, yeah, I didn't let my daughter drink out of it to break it or leave it outside, yeah, yeah. or and so it's a it's a very it's the cup of her belovedness mm. that's beyond all the promise that was in her life as far as accomplishments and all that, but just simply. She's beloved forever before the face of God mm-hmm. in that sense. And so it's a reminder to me. And in that way, her belovedness is still mm-hmm. beyond death. 10 years ago, mm-hmm. this happened ten over 12 years ago now, mm-hmm. uh, is extending to me and then mm-hmm. hopefully through me to whoever I encounter, including cats and birds and mm-hmm. bugs. Well, and I think that's another beautiful thing of an extension of what I was talking about earlier is... Not only do you mourn deeply, but you also find ways to memorialize 
Mm. Um, and not just people, you know, I know I've said it on the podcast, but you know, the beautiful poem you wrote about Padfoot that, you know, that one still touches my heart every time I read it or hear it, you know, and, and I, and I think about Padfoot almost every day because, uh, where he's laid to rest, right where you, yeah. And so (laughs) I'm going to say this, we can edit it out. Someone accidentally ran over it one time. Oh yeah. And so I well, ran over, ran over his grave. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Yes. Yeah. Not him. <laughs> Padfoot was already gone. The grave was ran over and I didn't even witness it. And I can remember thinking like, what the, f-? like how the, <laughs> so I am, and I, I would have to like crash my car to run over it, but I'm still mindful when I park and back yeah, up. Yeah. Um, well, it was because somebody the, visiting. No, I, yeah, yeah. And they had a large truck. Yeah, yeah. It's, yada, it's, yada, yada, yada. It, there's lots of excuses for yeah. it. So I'm not trying to, you know, um, they didn't do it on purpose. They did not do it intentionally no, no, by just... any stretch of the imagination. However, <laughs> because you are so intentional about memorializing uh, people and just just living beings that have encountered desert rain, um, it's made me more mindful about those things. Mm-hmm. Like a good example. I mean, I started the podcast off with a good example, almost 40 years old. And it never once crossed my mind to be like, Hey, I should go visit my dead grandpa. Mm, yeah. You know, but there was something in me yesterday that just, it aligned. And you know, I don't know, it might be a stretch, but maybe living here for the last five or six years mm-hmm. and wit- witnessing you memorialize the world and, um, engaged the world in that way has has opened that door for me interesting has has opened you know made my made me a little bit more compassionate and soft-hearted um because it just it's so weird to me that it never even crossed my mind because i've driven through alamogordo (laughs) hundreds of times in my life right like it's I don't go there, but to get to Rio Doso, you got to go there to get yeah, the cloud. Yeah. You know, well, list goes on and on. Um, and so, yeah, I think it just, it just how we engage the world, how we embody the belovedness. Yeah. Ripples out in ways we could never know. Yeah. Cause if, you know, not to get woo woo here, but uh, <laughs> let's do it. It's but I mean, it's, time, baby. it's, it's an objective fact, I guess. Uh, that your ancestral trauma mm-hmm. lives on in you because it's genetic. It's it's literally there. You know, uh, it's not just a spiritual thing in the sense of, you know, you know, when the Jewish scriptures say the seed of Abraham, they literally mean sperm, mm-hmm. physical sperm. Yeah. Uh, and the and the, and their mother's eggs. You know that uh, that's what they mean. It's, it's true, a physical yeah. thing. It's not a, but it, but it transcends the physical. Mm-hmm. So it's. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, so so if it works that way, your ancestral trauma, uh, your start the the starvations, uh, the 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 traumas from war, war. and violence, mm-hmm. addiction that just continue on uh, up to you, then then healing can go the other way is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Yeah. And so their belovedness needs to be named. Their belovedness needs to be uh, acknowledged and seen in some way, even though it's uh, someone that you never met. Mm-hmm. Uh, but their belovedness still exists in the heart of God is, is mm-hmm. the claim that Christianity is making. Well, so. the, 
the beautiful point about that or the beautiful thing about that point is on the flip side of that coin of not having ever thought to go visit and his name's Elmer Robert Mason. So to say his name again into into the world. Um, I have thought about how my, like I said, my dad was, was five or six. He was a young, young boy when he lost his father and the trauma of that how that is, and not to make it about me, but you know, I've meditated on that, how that has impacted my father through his oh, life yeah. and has equally, or not, I'm not going to say equally, but has definitely impacted my life, Yeah, you know, and, and, and just, and just like you're saying how it, how it, those things are passed through DNA, yeah. you know? And, and so, you know, part of, part of me being there yesterday is I took a couple pictures and I sent one to my dad, you know, and just, just, to sort of like, Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm here with your dad. Yeah. Um, and it's funny cause yesterday it felt anticlimactic, but now talking about it today, it, it seems much more meaningful than. Yeah. Those things become, yeah, yeah that's, I think, I think that's the experience of the, of your belovedness as well. Mm-hmm. You'll have an experience an encounter of some sort, a dream, even or just a thought that came to you while you were praying or driving on the freeway, mm-hmm. which are the same thing. Um, but it begins to snowball later mm-hmm. uh, and becomes more significant and meaningful as it becomes a living thing, mm-hmm. you know? So, and me and my dad have had a hard couple months <laughs> uh, interesting. With, with each other, you know, and just, just being, uh, we're just two different dudes, right, you know? Right. And, and for me, I don't, I don't know his side of it cause we haven't talked about it, but on my side being a, one on one being okay with we're just two different human beings and then on the other side of it like still wanting to like step into that relationship and what does that look like and what does that mean and so um you know definitely yesterday was a part of that at least from my side of of the street uh you know an olive branch of like hey man like yeah uh he thinks i hate him which i don't Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and so sending those pictures of being hey man I love you, man. And I'm thinking about you and I'm here with your dad. Um, anyways, yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just a really beautiful thing. Interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. Cause it's such a simple thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess what, you know, we, we do this pretty, pretty regularly on, on, especially when we're talking about some of these big, big topics, but, uh, someone that's wrestling with this idea of, of, um, feeling the belovedness, experiencing the beloved, or maybe this is actually a better way thinking, intellectualizing, not being, um, allowed this belovedness, yeah, yeah. this unconditional love, right? The world, the world has told them otherwise yeah. through failures or, you know, harsh criticism or even trauma, right? Like full blown, um, real trauma, uh, you know, as you've walked this path, you know, as a contemplative, as a pastor, you know, what, what are, uh, suggestions or ideas of, of allowing someone, um, to step into that, that place of, um, even if they're not willing to accept the, the unconditional love that's there, but just maybe being a little bit open-minded or, or, or willing a little bit more willing than they were yesterday to accept it. I don't know if that, yeah, that's kind yeah. of a wandering question. <laughs> well, 
Well, it's it's not to dismiss. There are a lot of people that need to do real therapy, mm, right? And and to even have a self esteem, and so that needs to be built up before you can't surrender your mm-hmm. ego and your self esteem if you never had it, mm-hmm. if you never had possession of it. So that and I see that as a, a growing situation with people that I encounter. They never, mm-hmm. and so. So that needs to happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, deep, some deep therapies, uh, psychotherapy, if you can afford it. Uh, I mean, it's becoming more and more covered. Yeah, and even insurance the, and, and acknowledged. Well, even with Medicaid. Yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 the. Um, it's not a luxury like it used to be. A luxury industry. Right. <laughs> it still is on a certain level, but it, the access is be, is yeah. growing. Access is definitely growing in the yeah. last maybe ten years. Exactly. Five years. I don't know. But having said that, <laughs> uh, it's still uh, a lot of people have a stigma against mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. and uh, so they just can't. So they would take more of a spiritual route. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, so in that sense, yeah, there. I think. Uh, the experience of of the, uh, the discipline of silence mm-hmm. opens your soul up to your own belovedness, and and then therefore a greater compassion and empathy towards others. Uh, but again, like you said, when you the open heart is going to uh, it's not going to shield you from pain. Right. If your heart is open, you're going to hurt in this world. I was going to say that's the, the message of yeah, the gospel. Yeah, it's, it's going to even be more painful. Yeah. Than being closed and off. And so a lot of that. So again, then you're back to therapy, which is uh, find positive health, healthy coping mechanisms uh, rather than uh, trying to avoid pain at all costs uh, or boredom too. People are terrified. I think yeah. they're more terrified of boredom than they are of physical pain. <laughs> Especially in 2023 because we have the, as I pick up my, my phone, but we have these little... Uh, supercomputers yeah. that we can take anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look at the TikTok cha- uh, uh, challenges out there. <laughs> so they are, they're, you know, so physical pain is not the issue. Is, is they're not afraid of uh, right. losing their lives by uh, eating tight, videoing pods. themselves <laughs> at the edge of a cliff. That's not. That's no problem for for a lot of people. Uh, because it they gets gotta, likes, baby. But the boredom that would be there if they didn't do that video, that's more terrifying. And so, so yeah, so th- there does need to be some therapeutic things where uh, boredom is not the end of your everything, mm-hmm. and 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 pain, emotional pain, is not cannot be avoided in this in this life. But it can. But there are coping mechanisms mm-hmm. that are that Health, are healthy good, coping. And, yeah, good yeah. and positive, and. And so, so then you can handle your silence more. Uh, people are terrified of silence and solitude because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, so through incremental ways, uh, it, it really does expand your soul to receive that belovedness, to engage with that, and then for it to create out, outflowings of it to mm-hmm. others. And uh, which again will cause. If you're going to be an empathetic person, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about someone on social media that says, I'm an empath. <laughs> I'm not talking about those people. Who as made soon as you that. put that on social media, I don't believe you. Yeah, it's <laughs> ridiculous. Well, it's like the the married couple that, mm. you know, I'm more in love with all. you than I ever have here on our anniversary. It's, you're it's like, it's all good all the yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, 
couples like my wife and I, will, uh, when we see that, we look at each other and say, they're going through a divorce. <laughs> they're she, they're in just, talks with lawyers right now. She just caught him with... Uh, <laughs> um, well, one of the things you talked about at the end of that, about it being able to radiate, radiate out to others, um, is this idea of Anamkara. Yeah, yeah. And the importance, at least in my, in my journey, and, and I know yours as well, because we... Here's a, a, a plug, episode 17. Wow. Yes. The Anam Way. You remember the number? Well, wow. I looked it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, wow, man. Anyways, um, so the point of finding these people that are on a similar journey that you can build these deep, meaningful, um, it's a friendship, but the Anam is like a really deep spiritual friendship. Uh, where you can talk about anything and, and, um, and they're tough, you know, it, it's not always all good all the time. It's not a yeah. social media relationship. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's down in the, the nitty gritty. And, and, um, I know that's something that is, so going back to this idea of, of accepting, um, God's unconditional love being the first step, you know, regardless of that, of, of where it falls in the process, regardless of that. But this, this idea of having other people around us that, that do show unconditional love that, um, right. Cause it goes both ways, accepting yeah. unconditional love, but then also handing, you know, being able to give it, give it back to, to those people and, yeah. and show, show, show those uh, relationships grace. Cause I feel like it doing it at the individual level, with someone I care about and love opens my heart a little bit more. And then I can, I can do it with people that uh, stress me out or groups of people. You know what I mean? It just, it just, it sort of grows on itself. And so um, it, you know, I, I think I, I know I experienced it in recovery, but you definitely have given me the wording as far as Anamkara of what that is and what that really means. Um, Anyway, so I wanted to, to add that to, to sort of how you were, you were discussing it. Yeah. Uh, were you asking me a question or, Oh, okay. (laughs) Just talking about, I mean, I had a memory one time where, uh, I was doing a clown act, you know, big surprise to one of my classes, you know, Uh and I usually open with a monologue that would last too long (laughs) and not proud of a lot of things there. But it was the 90s. We were all crazy. (laughs) We were all wild and crazy. (laughs) But anyway, uh, but I I did some shtick where uh, I was saying, you know, a a low self-esteem shtick. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. And at the time, it was probably the early 2000s, so the Homeland Security was being... TSA stuff. Yeah, so I was saying, I'm feeling, I need a, I need a a Department of Homeland Security because I feel very insecure. (laughs) And uh, I was just doing this bit, Yeah, riffing. And not not even God likes me, and so this this girl always took my uh, jokes very literally. She was a very literal. She uh-huh. she ended up becoming a lawyer. Actually. That's amazing. Yeah, an that's immigration incredible. lawyer. So I'm very that's, proud of her. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, but this student, and she was all, but she was always very serious. And okay. So she's all, Mister uh, Jesus loves you. <laughs> and so I, and I was always messy with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, so I told her, I said. Jesus loves Hitler, so big deal. <laughs> and she goes, she goes, Mister, you're the devil. <laughs> you're 
like, well, Jesus loves the devil too. So I guess you're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If Jesus, yeah, if Jesus, if Jesus is teaching is to love your enemy and the devil is the enemy, oh, then what Jesus. does Jesus do with the, the devil? Right. And so, uh, and, and, oh, shit. and so, yeah, so it becomes comical if it's just at that intellectual yeah. level, it's got to be experienced and then deeper, the deeper the experience, the less you can say about it. Yeah. Uh, and right. so you do, so you serve someone and then, uh, you let it go. You do the work and you let it go. You don't post it on social media. You don't, uh, bask in it. Well, I'm a good person. Cause I helped this person. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I, I am a good person. Give me my, give me uh, my gold star, baby. Yeah. You just, you simply, and, and that, that comes from the, from the Tao actually mm-hmm. says to do your work and then let go of your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, forget that, you know, and so. Uh, I, I don't know. It's a very, it's a helpful way for me to live. Well, and it, it, uh, this, it's one of those cliche sayings, but the, the farthest distance is the, the 12 inches from your brain to your heart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and that for sure has been my experience of like, yeah, I'll intellectualize all these things. Um, probably every conversation you and I have had on this podcast I love intellectualizing it, but then when it, it finally, you know, gets on the elevator and and goes down and and becomes a heartfelt experience, just always blown away, you know, and just, I couldn't even give an example right this moment because it's like you said, like the things I'm really good at articulating on a certain level, I probably haven't felt at the heart level, Mm -hmm. you know, and the things that I, that have, you know, just sort of feel like I've been punched in the chest by God or whatever. Um, it just, you know, in like a literal sense, just sort of knocks the words out of me and, and it just, it it becomes an experience and, and, um, I could talk around it, you know, kind of like what we were trying to do earlier, but, um, it never, it, oh, go ahead. Oh no. I was was just going to say it never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. And I would say for those of you, who've encountered people, particularly fundamentalist kinds of Christians who are very loud about their own belovedness before mm. God. I'm a child of God. Right. Uh, <laughs> in fact, we go to the same cardiologist. And so I'm going trying, today. <laughs> and so what was the guy's name? The, the tech? Uh, the tech. He's very talkative. He does the sonograms and he's very oh, nice. Oh, 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 yeah. I, don't I forgot his name because it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been yeah, two yeah. years since I've seen him. Anyway, I was waiting to see him in the hallway there, you know, that narrow hallway mm-hmm. in the back. And someone was there before me and, and you could hear through the door. So he was, you know, he's a very friendly yeah. guy. So he's like, how are you today? She's like, I'm blessed in the name of Jesus Christ today. And she literally just <laughs> preached at him. And he was so gracious to her. He was just of like, course. okay. Uh, and then she told him how she had just <laughs> fed the poor. I mean, it was just crazy. Yeah? She I just, just literally came from the soup yeah. kitchen. <laughs> And, uh, and, and she's sincere, of course, of course, honest. And he was not, he was kind to her and polite Mm -hmm. and professional. Uh, but if someone's talk to you about their own chosenness and belovedness Mm -hmm. makes you feel excluded, makes you feel outside of the love of God, then they're completely faking it. And they're actually, they've weaponized it, which modern evangelicals have weaponized it, uh, and and it's called a culture war. Well, and it it goes back to the end of that passage you read, 
of he's not talking about excluding people from the belovedness no. of God. He's talking you become about more inclusive. Yeah. So this this war, this culture war. That's why I'm so passionately you know, why it pushes all my buttons mm -hmm. because it hits at that. It's telling a certain uh, conveniently a very small portion sliver of a population because mm -hmm. that's what fascists do. Uh, you know, I don't know what percentage uh, the Jewish community was in Nazi Germany, but I'm sure it was a very small. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't thirty percent. Yeah, it was less than <laughs> probably ten percent. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I couldn't. It but, wasn't. A, it wasn't a. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a large minority. So that's what fascists do. They pick a <clears throat> a, a, a people group that's uh, vulnerable in numbers and and power and make them the. The, devil. the scapegoat, yeah. yeah, and so, uh, and that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing with uh, uh, gay and lesbian and all the, uh, the uh, you know, all the the letters. They keep adding them. And I, I, right. L B D G Q. But that's what they're doing, and uh, and drag queens, you know, uh, you know, so so, you know, they pass laws. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's exactly what Jesus said to the Pharisees. They pass laws mm -hmm. to allow children to work dangerous jobs. Right but want to protect children against uh, <laughs> drag queens from reading right. books. Uh, <clears throat> so it's like, uh, well, you don't care about children. The it drag queens about... just need to go to the dangerous <clears throat> jobs and read the books. There. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, and so, yeah. So, so if anybody ever makes you feel inferior while they espouse their own belovedness, mm. it's, it's, it's not real. It's not uh, real. If it is real, you'll, have an encounter and it may be a very basic encounter like someone at a in a transaction you know an economic transaction mm -hmm. someone behind the it counter might, it might if anybody goes to seconds. counters anymore it uh, might last 30 seconds exactly and yeah. you and there was something that was mm -hmm. some sort of peace that came to you or some sort of you just felt safe in that person's mm -hmm. presence whatever you know uh that once, once again it's uh you can't articulate it Exactly. Because everyone's going to experience it slightly differently. Yeah. yeah. And so, so it may awaken you to uh, a greater sense of belovedness. If you watched, <clears throat> sorry, I'm <clears throat> <You're> losing it. <laughs> I'm breathing in pollen here. <clears throat> uh, if you've, if you've watched, uh, well, I'll just say it personally. Uh, uh, a couple of years ago, my dad had a stroke and, and the way when he was in the, the ICU, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the way that I just observed my mother and him interact mm -hmm. with each other and that the tenderness, very simple gestures, you know, mm -hmm. they're not, they're not a, I'm working on a, cause they've been married for 60 years and, and they, and they skipped over to Mexico to get married. And, uh, and anyway, and I wanted to write a poem about how it wasn't a count. It's they're not a Camelot couple, mm -hmm. but they were a Dealey Plaza <laughs> couple mm -hmm, and survive mm -hmm. that yeah, shit yeah, yeah, you know because yeah. they were married the same year kennedy was 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 murdered assassinated so anyway uh i forgot what i was so you see yeah the tenderness between and that awakens your own yeah. beloved belovedness uh you see someone taking care of someone else maybe a, a mother and i'm not talking about this toxic motherhood because no, that's that's how you know I'm I'm the greatest mother on social media. No, uh, it goes back to this idea of unconditional love. Yeah, when you witness unconditional love, um, it opens up that door. Yeah, or it, the door might already be open, right? You might already have experienced it, but it 
it opens it a little bit more. Yeah. It gives you a little bit more insight of, of this idea of unconditional love. Um, that once again, you can't intellectually get there. Yeah. It's in small, uh, just a memory here. Uh, I remember Ernie and Linda Nedia, when they lived here, he passed away a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. Jacob Nedia's father. And they had a, uh, for some circumstance, a blind woman was staying with them in their mm -hmm. RV. And I went over to visit and he handed her, a, I think it was just a cup of coffee or tea, but the gesture, the way that he handed it to her mm -hmm. spoke of, of a tenderness and a belovedness that was beyond just handing mm -hmm. a cup of coffee to her, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, so I'm not talking about some mountaintop, mm. go to a, a seven day retreat and cleanse yourself. And mm -hmm. uh, no, I'm talking about very basic, small things. And if you're awakened to it, you'll see it everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. That's beautiful. I think that's. Does that sew that, it up? That, that got us there. Thank you, sir. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Um, thank you, Mr. Morrison. Thank you, Mr. Maxon. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of Desert Rain Community Radio. Uh, thank you to Danny West. He does all the editing and sound Danny engineering. Danny Danny. Um, Jacob Nedia, like you just mentioned. Jacobo. Thank you, Jacob, for the monk drums that you hear in the background. I'm feeling a little lost. Um, Dreamwalkerway.com. <laughs> dot com get, please uh, get yourself uh, David's book we're desperate buy a book buy a book please and I think is that it that's it yeah I think so that's it or as Bob Barker would say uh, spay and neuter your pets <laughs> that's right he did end with that <laughs> dang I'm full of random memories today uh, worthless random memories uh, they, they made for good conversation so I think they're worthwhile um as I said at the beginning, let's get into it. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Talk to you next week.